Howdy, howdy, and welcome back to Cleric's Way Ringmail. Today on the podcast, we've got a special treat for you. I met up with Jason Connerly of the Nerds Variety RPG cast, link in the show notes, and we had a great little conversation about converting your existing materials, adventures, supplements, etc., into a new system. First and foremost, though, I want to issue an apology. You see, in this podcast episode, I'm going to spoil the out of The Lich Way, a module written for White Dwarf, issue number nine, and published in the October-November of 1978 time frame. Now, uh, why apologize? Because, yes, you'll note, and I didn't until listening back to it, Jason mentions that he has not played The Lich Way, as though I had not heard him I go on to spoil the shit out of it, like I mentioned before. So, with that in mind, Jason, I very much apologize. I did not catch on to what I was doing to you until I was in editing. And for the listeners, if you have not played The Lich Way and don't want a couple of its secrets revealed, I recommend skipping ahead when you encounter the moments of Lich Way conversation. I will try to flag them in the show notes. With the pleasantries out of the way and a toddler having visited me in my office, without further ado, we move into Converting Systems with Jason. Okay, a little bit of a do. Last time I had collaborated with Jason, I had screwed up the audio, and I was very quiet. This time, collaborating with Jason, I overcompensated and screwed up the audio, and Jason was super quiet. So I've done my best to correct this problem, I've done my best to equalize the volume, but apologies in advance, listeners, I will learn one of these days. And from here, on with the show. All right, welcome back to the Clericsware Ringmail podcast. I am here live, or I'm live while I'm recording it, with Jason from the Nerds Variety RPG cast. How are you this morning, Jason? Excellent, excellent. How are you doing? I am doing all right. Uh, I appreciate you coming out. Uh, for those listening at home, Jason was kind enough to wake up with me at 4.45 a.m. Uh, so that we could get together and talk about this particular subject. And uh, so if you're wondering why collaborations uh, between me and other folks are infrequent, it's because there are not many who can uh, keep up with my insane schedule. I guess I need uh, I need more Aussies, I guess, because it's... Uh, it's tomorrow morning. Uh, it's tomorrow afternoon in in uh, Australia, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. That's correct. All right. So, and uh, I did not give Jason any warning. I just started uh, recording and talking. But what I think I'll do, I'll let him introduce our topic today. Uh, J- Jason, you want to take it away? Sure. So, in a recent episode, Taylor mentioned one of the reasons to homebrew was the difficulty in translating adventures from one system to another. And I reached out and said, you know, it'd be an interesting topic to discuss the idea of converting modules from 
you know, one rule system to another rule system in different ways to do that. And it might be easier to do a collaboration as opposed to just a series of emails back and forth. And here we are. All right. Yep. And here, <clears throat> here we are indeed. So one of the uh, one of the core tenets for the original uh, old school Renaissance was that uh, mechanical compatibility, so that you could do stuff that you already had uh, without a lot of effort. So what I brought with me, I brought with me a little bit of a surprise today. Uh, the first cross compatible adventure that I ever ran. Uh, the Lichway. Hey, Jason, have you played the Lichway? I have not. You have not? Alright, this will be fun then. The Lichway has the uh, is a mini dungeon for a party of six to eight first level characters. It is, I believe, the one of the first, if not the first, dungeons that was published in the Dra Dragon magazine. So I could probably look that up. I'm actually looking at it on Xenopus Archives too. So let me see if I'm full of full of myself. No. No, I'm not. Same good. So. Nope. No. It originally appeared on October 1978 in the White Dwarf. So I just got the uh, I just got the magazine wrong. So the Lichway has the distinct honor of being one of the first, if not the first, published magazine dungeons and it appeared in White Dwarf in October of 1978. Uh, I picked it up uh, and ran it. It's of course designed uh, based on the year for uh, OD&D, AD&D. Uh, 78 was the year the Player's Handbook came out, but I ran it in Dungeon Crawl Classics, and so I have a little bit of first-hand experience taking a published product and uh, running it, and I didn't change a thing. <laughs> I was able to essentially run it wholesale. DCC is a little different. It has different um, saves and a couple, and it, it lacks the dungeon crawling elements or procedures, but I was able to run the module with, with no changes. Now, my party died ha uh, roughly five rooms in, but that's their own fault. Uh, I've been able to play the Lichway once uh, with a friend, and he ran it using the Holmes Basic rule set. And so Holmes Basic being essentially what it was designed for, or at least the uh, the level range and the system at the time. So as a quick exercise to start off, I'm going to give you the sur uh, see, the Susurus. The Susurus is that's all Greek to me too. Yeah, that's because it's not a real word. <laughs> but so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read. I'm going to read you the description of this creature and. Um, I'm going to read you the description of this creature, and then I'm going to challenge you as to how you would run him in a game of your choosing. You can go, uh, I was going to uh, I was originally going to say stats and barbarians, go, but I will leave it to your discretion. Let's see. Drone Song Hall. Tattered shreds of a once plush drapery hang from the walls. In the center is a five foot high stone platform on which a cage of silver bars is built. The cage contains the Susurus, from which emanates a droning wind in the trees noise. The Susurus, number appearing, 1, armor class 4, movement 15 inches, hit dice 8d8, no treasure, 2 claw attacks, 1 to 8 damage each, a special attack, a hug, 
for 3 to 24. And alignment neutral, intelligence low, go. So, I mean, effectively, that sounds like a, you know, the equivalent of a, a big bear, right? Maybe, maybe a little bit tougher than a bear, but you've got the, the hug attack that's probably going to be in a bear in whatever system you're using. And then maybe just give it some more hit points, lower its AC a little bit. So I actually don't have any rule systems in front of me right now, but in like so so like an ICRPG, that'd probably be a two heart monster, and, and you would give it the you you'd probably give it a. It's been a while since I messed the ICRPG, but <laughs> I, I would probably give it the the hug attack, uh, a, a special attack of a hug, which if you rolled say a. 18 through 20, you know, so effectively rolled an extended crit, then it would do an extra, you, you know, die of the fighting damage, something like that. Um, but that, that's just off the top of my head. With, with So the, there's a couple ways here to, to do a, one of these things. And, and well, I'll throw it back to you. I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yep, yep, that's a, this is a great answer. It was uh, as much a, uh, <clears throat> it was much it was as much an invitation to recreate the creature as it was a way to showcase the thought processes that go into it. So absolutely, if you've got uh, if you've got more to think about, uh, we can we can keep thinking. Well, so so in the past, I've I've done this. Now, typically, you wouldn't do this off the fly that much. If you're going to, so there are different ways to to approach this. And traditionally, what we see in published modules are stats for different systems and, and this goes back quite a ways you, you know um, we, we can see that back when Chaosium used to publish things for, for different games back in 1981 they published Thieves World based off a novel series and that Thieves World box set had stats in it for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, Adventures in Fantasy, Chivalry and Sorcery, Dragon Quest, Dungeons and Dragons, The Fantasy Trip, RuneQuest, Tunnels and Trolls, and Traveler, believe it or not. And so they actually just included stats for everything in there. Later on, ICE, who did Rollmaster, the Middle-Earth role-playing game, often published books that had stats for Fantasy Hero as well, so it would work with the Hero system. And, and that's happened with, with a number of different things. Nowadays, of course, we see a lot of games that are double-statted for, say, 5e and quote-unquote OSR, which... You know, usually they use like BX stats, right? At one time <laughs> they would use like Labyrinth Lord stats, but but you know, generic OSR stats plus five E stats, and which typically means half the page is five E stats, and then you have two lines of OSC, OSR stats, right? <laughs> but the the other approach, and, and what I've so in the past I've run Tomb of the Serpent Kings. I I, I would assume you're, you're familiar with that. Yep. Um, it's a basically a, a teaching dungeon done by a gentleman named Skirples. And Tomb of the Serpent King is a great adventure. It's free. Everybody should go out and grab it if you don't have it. Um, Colin Green over the Spike Pit podcast has done a review of it recently. That's a it's a good review, good overview. But so I've run Tomb of the Serpent Kings before using ICRPG, and it's not written at all for that system. But in cases like that, I don't just show up to the game and pick up a, a random module I've never seen, open it up, and run it. You, you know. To, to me, if you're if you're the DM, you should read through a module before you run it. Absolutely. And then, so, for me, the way I convert things is I will read through the module, 
and I'll take notes. I like to run games out of a notebook, and, and we're not using a camera with this call, so you can't see, but I have a gaming notebook that I keep notes in, and I can actually, you, you know, like, for example, I could show you the notes that I used back for that game. That was, like, 2017 when I did that, or 2018, maybe. Anyway, point being, you, you go through, and, and the key is you can do what those older games did, which is do exact conversions for each system, or you can sit... To me, when you convert module over to your game, whatever your game is, don't worry so much about the exact numbers. Find something that feels right. You're trying to replicate the feel. So for that, like that monster you described there, it's not super hot, tough to hit. AC4, so not even as hard to hit as Chainmail, right? So it's not super, it's, it's got a pretty tough hide, but not a super tough hide. It's got a lot of hit points, it's pretty tough, and it's got that hug attack and some claws. Which is why I think like grizzly bear or something like that, it, you know, in a system. And interestingly right. enough, that is exactly what I did uh, when I ran the game in DCC. I I was trying to grab my rule book, but then I realized I've not. Uh, we did some construction in my office not too long ago, and I never had the opportunity to bring my books back, so I don't have my DCC rule book handy. But if I remember correctly, there's a gorilla type adversary that mm -hmm. uses a hug and rend attack, and I used that as a template. So I did the essentially the exact same thing that you did, which was was to find an equivalent and uh, slap and paste the mechanic. Right, and and that and you and you just go through the adventure, and, you know. And a lot of times in these modules, we'll have things. You'll have like, you, you know, your generic bad guys, be they goblins, be they kobolds, whatever. In most systems, you're gonna have an equivalent of that, and you just plug in that equivalent. Where it gets a little bit trickier, maybe traps, because some systems, especially more narrative systems, don't do traps like a, a more traditional game does. Or traditional game, you know, has exact stat stats for stats. Or, I mean, for traps. <laughs> sorry, early. Um, but something like say Dungeon World may not, right? So you you need to have different ways to approach, and, and that's why you need to be. I think one key to converting modules over is you don't want to pick up a system you've never run before that you're new to, and pick up a module you don't know anything about, and try to convert that module to that system. I, I think you need to have some system mastery, some you know, some experience with the rules before you started converting things to that rule set. Right. You, you, yeah. And you need you need to be aware of the uh, chesters and fences that are in the system that you're running in order mm -hmm. to effectively convert something to it. And so for the listeners at home, the ch chesters and fences is an analogy that I believe I referenced in the, my last episode where uh, two men are walking across a uh, field and they come across a fence. The, the first says, let's walk around the fence, and the second says, I don't understand why this fence should be here. Let's just disassemble part of it and walk through. So they disassemble part of it walk and walk through. They have a wonderful afternoon, but then upon returning home, they find the town in havoc because some fool of a, uh, has disassembled the farmer's fence and the bull is loose in town. And so the point of the narrative is just because a given rule is there and we don't understand why it's there, that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be there. And so once you've got the uh, system down, and this was one of the points that Jason and I agreed on, once you've got the system down, <clears throat> then when you understand where, why those fences are there and what the consequences will be when you change where the fences are, then you can change them or remove them. And what is the point of those fences? It's to create an experience. 
So with, uh, like you mentioned with traps, the purpose of the uh, Holmes Basic or OD&D game was to create a almost board game, I would say. Not, not entirely board game, but definitely war game inspired experience where you're underground, you're overcoming obstacles using your uh, wits and managing your resources, all that fun stuff. And when you have a game like Dungeon World, and I'll admit my experience with Dungeon World is extremely limited, uh, that is, I've never played it, uh, the Dungeon World builds itself more so as a narrative experience, like you'd said. And so if the objective of the game is different than the objective of the module, then it's going to be a much more difficult time adapting the experience. And so you almost have to think through what was the purpose. And Lichway is a good example. Lichway has a great story to it, and it has my favorite NPC ever, uh, which is... Uh, let's see, what's his name? Kakak Amdor. And I'll read this a little bit. The, he, he, he sits in the arms store. The floor is littered with rusted and corroded weapons, armor, and shields. Some of these have been used in an attempt to wedge the door closed. It's a minus one on your attempt to open the stuck door. Uh, Kakak Am Armdor is dressed in robes, rather worn, if you look closely and carrying an elaborately decorated and carved five-foot staff. Close scrutiny reveals this is painted like a child. Uh, stands, he stands defiantly in the southeast corner and tries to wedge the door. Uh, his stats are uh, atrocious. <laughs> five strength, seven intelligence, nine wisdom. He doesn't, have a good, he doesn't have a single positive modifier, but he, quote, lacks everything except confidence. He is, in fact, a fighting man, of unfortunate background, but he uh, came to the uh, nearby town and pretended to be a powerful magic user and was able to bluff his way into the good graces of an evil magic user deeper in the dungeon. And so he's currently under dun the magic user, uh, Dark Odo, was impressed enough to charm him into service, but immediately discovered how useless he really was, and it was all bluster. So he's locked in a uh, he's locked in this guard room to stay away from the real NPCs. And he's my favorite NPC ever because I convinced when I ran this game, I convinced my party that he was a powerful magic user who only had one or two spells left, and that's why he hadn't nuked them. And they they sat in reverence of him uh, for half the module, which was a beautiful, beautiful thing. <laughs> Excellent. And, and, and that's something, you know, you should be able to do with just about any system, right? That that, that should be a system agnostic part, but that's, that's such a great setup. And, and, you know, that's one of the reasons we want to go to modules outside of our own systems. Not that there aren't great modules and tons of great NPCs throughout the, you know, D&D and OSR and all that, but those things exist in other systems, too. So you might find something written for something else. You're like, this is great. I want to, I want to use this and lift it. Mm -hmm. And then how do you do that? Yep. And the, it's a great, it's an, uh, there's an abundance of resources. <clears throat> mm -hmm. There's an absolute wealth of resources. And to look through those different resources and incorporate them into your game is uh, is one of the core strengths of the process. Now, the Lichway is unique in a second way, well, not unique, but it is very atypical for me to run modules. When I consume modules, adventures, or other things like that, 
I very rarely run them just as is. What I will do is I will parse through them. I will take the map if I like the map. I will take elements of the map if I like those elements. And I will take ideas out of the modules and plug and play into other dungeons. So it's very rare for me because I use them as, as inspiration. And when I, I publish a lot of small dungeons on the blog, I assume other people are doing the same thing, taking the ideas that they like and incorporating them into their game. Now. I'm not uh, I'm not coming down on people who do run dungeons as written. Like I mentioned, I have run the Lichway as written, and when I was learning the DCC system, I took several dungeons as written from the DCC communities on Facebook and Reddit and ran them to try to get a feel for how the game was supposed to play. And uh, the opening funnel that I used. Uh, to generate characters was in the back of the DCC book. And that's an interesting analogy too because that funnel, uh, if uh, for folks who have the DCC rulebook, and uh, Jason you may have played it, is the portal under the stars. Uh, does that ring a bell? Mm -hmm. So yes. cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, so t you've, uh, you've run that, played that? I've played it. Yeah. Played in it? Tell us a little bit about your experience playing that if you, were, if you remember any details. Oh, I'd have to. <laughs> you're, you're putting me on the spot here because my memory, she's not so good. So, so was we, I, I played in a number of different. Fun, was so I guess we need to put a spoiler warning up. For, oh yes. So spoilers, uh, spoilers to follow. I'll, I'll put a spoiler warning at the beginning of the episode because I've spoiled a lot of the Lichway uh, as we've gone along. As we've gone along, I say a lot. I've, I've given you stats from one of the monsters and I've given the one of the NPCs. I don't think I've spoiled it too bad. But I'll well, put a the, I'll put yeah, a warning. The, I'll put a warning at the beginning. Yeah, the NPC giveaway is kind of a big deal though. Yeah. Uh, with the so, let's be honest. Um so is this the one where you have the the lake or is this the one with the where you end up in the in, in the big room and somebody's in a cage at one point? This is the one with the with the terracotta army in the basement. Ah, I you, maybe I haven't played this one. I don't remember. Okay, then I will I will not spoil it too much. But uh, so what I can say is, um, I learned from running that experience. Uh, so. Dungeon Crawl Classics, as I mentioned, it lacks dungeon procedures, uh, that is exploration mm -hmm. procedures, and it does not have overland travel. So, well, it, it, if I remember correctly, on the part of the author, it assumes that you know other systems. And originally, I think it was written, it's, it's a, it's a really, relatively early game uh, in terms of when the uh, old school renaissance was running to the point where there are not, uh, it's not really an OSR game. It's kind of OSR adjacent, according to a lot of people. But the point is, it was written during the uh, reign of third edition and mm -hmm. so it makes the same assumption from third edition that your primary experience and your primary driver is going to be combat so dcc and and uh, you're welcome to disagree with me at any point along the way just pipe up and interject but dcc has a lot of uh, rules on combat a lot of cool spell effects that can change the nature of combat it has access to healing which is in excess of uh, basic or advanced D&D &D. and 
the uh, fighter has a lot more hit points. I think a lot most of the classes have a lot more hit points than their equivalents in other systems. And so the DCC module, it had it was designed for for one session. It was the funnel was designed for one session, and it's not it's relatively linear. Uh, you go straight. There are some side rooms. Then you go down, and then there are some side rooms, and then you go down, and then there's the main space. So it's relatively linear, and there are several different encounters where you can either fight it straight up, or there are tricks that you can use. There are quirks to the environment. There are other things that you can do in order to make those encounters easier or to nullify them entirely if you're smart about using your environment. So that's the core experience that DCC is trying to create and that's the core experience that that module tries to create. So what I did, because I'm super smart like this, I'm like, there. I need to loop this. This would be fun if it had lots of extra side stuff. So I added huge amounts of space. Like I double. I think I doubled the the square footage on the first floor by adding two wings on the side, and then I uh, I think I did. I, that's I did that. Then I added a little bit of cave area off of one side and put some spiders in it. And so what the result of that was instead of taking one session and kind of working through the player characters they um it took three sessions uh and by the end i had the uh the party fleeing in terror <laughs> out of the dungeon uh, which i guess that was a good thing but so not only did i break the temporal assumption but i also had a bunch one, i had a bunch of characters that got killed off but a bunch of characters that survived so I guess that's that sort of is what the, the funnel is for but there was a dichotomy in the group so the one player who kind of embraced it and uh, he he killed off so many of his initial characters that he had to borrow a character <laughs> from one of the other players and then one of uh, but then the other players who were uh, more cautious uh, one in particular he didn't lose a single dude which was a big surprise and so by I used the uh, basic expert uh, for dungeon crawl, so I guess it's basic. Uh, I, I, I say BX, but I think the dungeon crawl procedures are in basic. I just used the procedures from basic when I was moving them through the dungeon, and the uh, the old school or old player. Uh, he he he's not old, but he's been playing a long time. He didn't lose his characters, and so he ended up we we ended up going into the campaign with multiple kind of there's a main pc and some backup pcs whereas the other fellow went in as went in as designed with with just one player character to move forward with and so i tell that story in part as a cautionary tale it worked uh, we had a lot of fun with that campaign it ran for about a year and ended kind of prematurely with my mom in the hospital so I just couldn't run it anymore but uh, we, we had a lot of fun running it while we did uh, but it's a it's a word of uh, it was a big learning experience for me and it's to understand what is the core competency of the system what is the intended experience of the system and how can I use that to create the experience I want to create and I think that was I was able to do that but it uh that first adventure that first adventure was a little rocky and like you mentioned it's a uh, art it's an art to, to to try to stick to it uh, going forward yeah and i think one thing is it's important here 
it is important to even if you don't play run them to read through the adventures that and, and this is why it's important to for games to put decent adventures with their starter sets or things like that um but it i think it's important to look at some modules written for that game even if you're not going to run them because that way you can get a feel for kind of how those game mechanics are supposed to work what what kind of foes they expect you to throw against certain levels, if it's a level-based game, things like that. Get, get a feel for what the designers are looking for, right? Mm-hmm. It, and, and that can help you when you go to convert things, because you get an idea for the power levels we're looking at. Where if you don't, if all you've done is read the core rules, then you're, you're kind of guessing at those things. And now, not, not all modules are well-written, and... So it, you know it's kind of a crapshoot, but but if you find some modules that are considered decent, good modules, they're worth reading for that system because it will give you an idea, a basis for what they're looking for in that system, what a third level venture looks like in that system, for example, and that that'll help you with your conversion process if you're you know just doing it on the, doing doing it ad hoc from a totally different kind of game. Yep, absolutely. And DCC in particular may be a good example for this. The power scale for DCC dramatically different from uh, mm-hmm. other games. So uh, you've you've played a high level, uh, I say high level, uh, mid, I guess mid level uh, DCC game uh, recently. Yeah, we played levels five through seven. We started fifth level. DCC, yeah, your characters are definitely more powerful than the equivalent level in say D and D and if if you look online you can find people tell you you know exactly how different they feel but I mean the, the games are different so it's kind of hard to balance like you mentioned with healing you know the cler- healing in that the cleric's healing ability is not a spell so as in it doesn't take up a spell slot and you don't even have spell slots in DCC which makes a totally different feeling so spells typically now clerics work different than magic users and wizards do in DCC. But your cleric can lay on hands to heal and they can cast spells and, and typically unless they roll poorly and incur their deity's wrath, they can keep doing that. And the same thing with your wizard, they can keep casting spells till they roll poorly and they potentially they could lose that spell. But you can but unless but if you if the dice are hot that day, you might never lose a spell. You know, and you might be able to keep recasting it, recasting it. And then the effect of the spell depends how well you roll. So a magic missile can do everything from a D4 damage to, you, you know, I've done over 100 points of damage with a magic missile spell in that game as a, you know, as a fifth level wizard. So it just depends. The It's hard to compare it level-wise because there are differences in there in the way the games work. Um, but, yeah, they're definitely more powerful than your average character. I think that's one thing with the funnels you miss a little bit. And and so for DCC to do that conversion over, you don't want to look at a funnel. You want to look at an actual... And, and Goodman, Goodman Games has some excellent adventures out there. They have a ton of... Ex, over 100 excellent adventures out there, right? Or maybe they, they were just up to 100 now. But there are a ton of great adventures out there and also by some third-party companies. Look at one of those modules built for leveled characters because with the funnels, what you lose are your characters don't have classes in the funnels. They're all nobodies. So you don't have wizards and clerics and fighters or warriors. And and because of that, you're not getting the special abilities of those characters. And so you're not seeing how that balances out. Where hopefully with a you know an adventure written for third or fourth level characters, you're gonna see you, you know, a better idea of what the system expects. Yep. 
And I'm harping a little bit on DCC just because that's my uh, experience. Uh, my primary experience has been with the D&D line, and I have mm-hmm. not... Uh, I've not branched out a lot, and that's, I guess, not recently. When I was in college, uh, we used to branch out a lot because I, I had a buddy who, uh, I don't know if he knew somebody or if he was just on the mailing list, but I swear he came he came over with a new Mongoose game every week because that was right in the, uh, two, I guess, mid to late 2000s there where uh, Mongoose was putting out uh, a whole bunch of old IPs in updated editions. They did, I think, Traveler. They did a Judge Dredd game, and <clears throat> this buddy, he brought him over. And so I played a lot, lot of games in college that I had very surface-level experience with, but mm-hmm. I don't have deep experience with a lot of things apart from the D&D and D&D derivative-type games. And so how um, how much time do you think you would want to spend uh, on a system before trying to, trying to convert something? Or is that something you would want to just dive into and, and trial by fire, learn from experience? Well, well, no, I think you should get a little bit of experience with the system, if you can. So there are some things that are pretty easy to convert over. Right? It, I, I think there's not a, a solid answer here. I, I do think it makes sense to, the first time you run a game, or the first couple times you run a, run a rule set, you should probably use adventures written for that rule set. And these days, with the internet, of course there's good and bad information on the internet, and you have to be careful your sources. But these days, it's so much easier to find out which adventures and which modules are considered good by the community. So it, you know, it shouldn't be too hard if you want to pick up DCC, or you want to pick up Traveler, or you want to pick up you know whatever game Dungeon World. You know, or I don't know if there are modules for Dungeon World. I'm, I, I I throw Dungeon World out there. You'll get calls maybe <laughs> more familiar than I am. But or Pathfinder or whatever, right? But whatever the game is. The, if you go out there, there's some community on the internet that, that loves that game. And, and you can easily search to find out what are the best modules for a beginning DM to, to run in that game. And, and so you run that, you know, run a couple sessions of that game with those modules to, to get a feel for it. And, and I think some games are going to be easier to wrap your head around than others. You know, and some games are definitely more rules light than others. And some games, like, look at AD&D. Mm-hmm. AD&D is... You know, there's a lot to it, and there are a lot of subsystems in there. So you're not going to run AD&D two or three times and be a master of that system. And it, now, could you convert something over to it after running it a few times? Probably, but you, but it's gonna it's gonna take longer to master, say, AD&D than it is something like ICRPG. And even ICRP, even these lighter games. If when I say lighter, I mean games with less rules and you know smaller rule books. Like say the black hack, um, even the games like that, there there's things in there that are a little bit bit deceptive, and you need to play to really see how those mechanics work out, because their mechanic, like the usage die, is a great example. Mm-hmm. This the usage die is loved and hated by people throughout the communities, and the usage die is a oft times misunderstood and oft times over applied mechanic, um, and, and and it depends on which. You, you know which game designer plugs it in there and how they plug it in there. To me, the usage die is wonderful for variable mechanics. If you want to figure out how long a disease is going to run its course, or somebody fighting a disease off, the usage die is great for that. 
if you want to do variable spell lengths, you know, like you're not sure how long that web spell is really going to last, and that's going to depend on how magic works in your world. But I like the usage die for things like that because you're not really sure how long that spell is going to last. I, I personally, I like that more, which is one of the reasons I like DCC because I like the more the variability. Magic. Yeah. Yeah. So I think usage die is good for things like that. Arguably, even something like a torch because I, I seriously doubt if we sat there and made torches. However, I'm sure on the internet we can find make a medieval torch. You know, a video does that. And I seriously doubt they all burn out at the exact same time, right? There's going to be some variability in there. Um, so I think things like that, it makes sense for ammunition. For Now, there's a talk over my podcast right now, and there'll be more in, in a future episode about the idea of using usage die for arrows and stuff. But typically, I think for ammunition, for things like that, usage die isn't as useful. You, you could argue maybe for food just because unless you prepackage meals, you, you know, like the effect of like an MRE or something, where you've got meals like this is one serving and you package that way. If you're just carrying a bag of food, it, it might be a little bit harder to, to parse that out. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I think for bullets and beans, you don't need a usage die. You should just count them yourself, do tick parks. Um, but, but that's just my opinion on, on that. But I, so, so I really think it depends on the game, though, because you could go to a game that you, like if you've never seen the usage die before and you play a game with it, it's going to take a while to get the feel for how well that works. And does that make sense? I, I know I'm right. It, may, it makes sense to me because then, and to speak to the usage die in particular, it seems like uh, for me the first time I encountered the usage die, it seemed like it was infinite. Uh, like you, I never ran out of uh, re whatever resource it was, and I didn't like that. I wanted to go back to bean counting, but um, yeah, then then come to find out that's just because i had a string of good rolls mm -hmm. well that's the thing you, and sometimes with the usage die people will try to start them too high like it there's you should probably never have a d20 usage die so for folks that aren't in, aren't aware the the idea of a usage die is you you pick a die size and typically it's going to be a d8 or a d6 is what your usage die size will be and if you and whenever you use that resource you're going to roll roll that die. If you roll one or two on that die, then it goes to the next size down. So if you start with a D8 usage die and you use that item, you roll your die. If you roll one or two, now it's a D6. Next time you use it, you roll again. If you roll an eight, or I mean, I'm sorry, now it's a D6. If you roll four or five, nothing happens. But if you roll a one or two again, now it drops a D4. And on that D4, once you roll one or two, now that resource is totally depleted. So it's kind of variable how long it's going to last. But if you set that die too high, if you have like a D12 usage die, then of course there's a chance you might roll one or two right away. But you know, a lot of times they're set too high, and, and that kind of affects it too. Yep, and I want to say I've seen the math done. I don't, uh, I don't offhand remember where it was. Uh, it might have been Goblin's henchman. I know he uh, he does a lot of evaluations uh, of, like mm -hmm. that to see the impact of those kind of mechanics. And I know he did the uh, he did the math on rolling your hit die as a usage die instead of hit points. Right. At one point, which was a cool a cool idea, but yeah, it, the, there's an equivalency out there of what the average number of of uh, turns or the average number of uses you'll get, but that average number is just that. It's an average, and there's a wide curve, and it gets wider as the die gets as the die gets bigger. Well, well exactly, and 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 of course we're just rolling that single die, 
so it is quote unquote swingy. You know, there's no there's no bell curve in here. Right. There's no yeah. So that's the yeah. There's the there's bend. no curve proper. Um, right. Right. So it like I say I think it's an interesting mechanic, and I think for me, and this is just Jason speaking, I do think it's useful for some situations, but I don't think it's a, I I don't think it's the, the best way to handle everything. And some games try to use it for everything. And right. Not. Right, and that's a good um, and that's a good tie back to the original uh, inspiration for this collaboration, uh, the episode on house rules. Uh, when should you change uh, the rules as written, and what are the effects of those changes? So that's a good that's a good tie back. Uh, <clears throat> though we straight we strayed a little bit from our intended uh, intended mm-hmm. topic today, which was the art of converting resources from one system to another. <laughs> that's okay. Yep, that's okay. It's a good. Uh, the, the the rambling makes it fun. I, I think so. Thank you for inviting me on. I, I really appreciate this talk. All right. No, I'm uh, I'm glad to do it, and I'm glad that uh, you had. I'm glad that you have the stamina and intestinal fortitude to put up with my uh, insane schedule. <laughs> Not a problem at all. I'm happy to do it. All right. Great. Uh, we've got uh, about 40 minutes there of content. Uh, after we edit that back, it'll be 40 minutes because I'm just going to slap the uh, theme on it and go. <laughs> nope, that's, but, that's how I do it. Uh, Gorilla podcasting at its finest. And it is 5.30, my time. Great conversation. I think we could keep going. But uh, I do believe my uh, offspring are about to wake up. So I probably ought to get ready for the day. Again, thank you so much, Jason, for coming on. Thank you for putting up with my schedule. And more so, thank you for providing the topic. Um, I remember for, for those who are not on the Audio Dungeon Discord, and I do recommend you come join us hanging out on the Audio Dungeon Discord, the House Rules podcast originated as a conversation that uh, Jason, I, and a couple others were having on that Discord. And I had so much to say that I needed to say it instead of type, because although I type faster than I talk, I tend to type fast enough that I type faster than I think. And thankfully, uh, the limitation of having a tongue involved in the mix allows me to talk about the same speed that my brain operates, Uh, which is why I have to edit my podcasts. I have to pretend that I'm smarter than I am. (laughs) But either way, thank you again, Jason, for coming on. Uh, I will have a link in the show notes to Jason's two shows. Uh, Jason is the host of the Nerds Variety RPG cast, and he's also the facilitator of a new panel show, Cerebrivore, which I don't know if the full listenership may have listened to, where he's got a handful of familiar voices and occasionally some voices that I have less familiarity with, and they talk about uh, different gaming concepts on a panel. That uh, just about wraps up this topic, and between now and when you listen to it next, delve on. But wait, I have one more thing I'd like to say. One of the things that Jason and I talked about after the video stopped recording was how much fun it would be to hear how other folks convert things from one system to another, their system of choice. From there, he suggested that we turn it into a contest. So, announcing today, the Clericsware Ringmail, Monsters for My Birthday competition. Between now and June 30, 11.59 p.m. or thereabouts, I want to hear about a monster you love and how you would convert it to a system of your choice. The more illustrative, the better. 
Beholders and Barbarians, Elithids on Index Cards, your choice, and I want to hear about it. A winner will be selected randomly from a hat on or about the morning of July 1st, and will receive a $15 gift card to DriveThruRPG. In addition, a $15 donation, U.S., will be made to a charity of your choice in your name. Don't have a charity? No worries. I've got a hat for that, too. So, which is your birthday, C-dubs? The 1st of the 30th? Truthfully, neither, but it's close enough that it fits with the current lineup of this podcast schedule. Entries can be submitted via Anchor, anchor.fm, slash clerics-where-ringmail, or via email, clericsware-email at gmail.com, or via Discord private message, or via Twitter private message, or via Facebook private message. You're welcome to record it, tell me about it, you're welcome to write it down, and send it to me, and I will read it on the air. Head over to the blog for the plethora of ways you can reach out to me and participate in this friendly little contest. Looking forward to hearing from everyone, and I've been meaning to do this little bit here, but I never remember when I'm editing. If you would not mind... Please like, heart, subscribe, follow, or review from wherever you're listening or watching this podcast video. I really do enjoy having these discussions. I really do enjoy having the sometimes lopsided conversations they result in. So, if you would not mind, the reviews, etc., they help visibility. And the shares, when you share the podcast, they drive this lo-fi podcast gorilla into the ears of people that I have never heard of or would never have reached otherwise, but would really love to hear from and engage. That out of the way, I am looking forward, like I said, to hearing from everybody. Looking forward to hearing from you, and we can cut back to delving. Thank you all for listening. The Clerksware Ringmail Podcast is an independently owned and operated product released for educational and informative purposes under the Totally Steal This license, which is kind of like Creative Commons, except f- licensing. Segments recorded within a vehicle are recorded using a Bluetooth hands-free device in conjunction with local vehicular safety legislation. The music for the Clerksware Ringmail Podcast is Gold Coffee by Michael Ramirez C., retrieved from Mixkit.co and used under the Mixkit royalty-free music license. Sound effects used in the Clerksware Ringmail Podcast are also retrieved from Mixkit.co and used in accordance with the Mixkit-free sound effects license. Clerksware Ringmail does not ascribe to nor endorse views or opinions expressed by call-ins, guests, or even the host, unless you think they're awesome, and thus does not assume any liability regarding the consumption or distribution of this podcast. By listening to the Clerksware Ringmail Podcast, you agree to these provided terms. Parties with questions regarding these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to reach out to Clerksware email at the prescribed methods provided on the Clerksware email blog. Parties dissatisfied with these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to go suck an egg.